the rest of you, I'd like you to open up your Bibles to, uh, guess what? Romans chapter 3. As if you didn't know that already. Because today we're going to continue to look at this glorious letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, which focuses on Jesus, our Savior, and on the gospel as the power of God for salvation to everyone who truly believes. Now last Sunday, we began to enter into the very heart of this letter. By looking at Romans chapter 3 verses 21 to 26, which focused upon the righteousness of God that is needed in order for us to be justified by God. In that sermon, we begin to answer the question asked by Job thousands of years ago, how can a man be right before God? That is the singular, most important question we could ever ask. How can we be right before God? We will find the answer to that question in this very letter, which in summary tells us that we are made right before God by Him. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Amen? Now, in that last sermon, we learned that God requires His own perfect righteousness for anyone to be declared right with Him. We learned that not one of us or any other human being, has that perfect righteousness with the exception of Jesus. Therefore, that righteousness is received apart from the law. It is received by saving faith. It is given to us by God as an act of pure grace. And it is the very righteousness of Christ which he earned for us through his sinless life, his substitutionary death, his resurrection, and his ascension back into heaven. The key verses in that passage were Romans 3, 23 to 25. Let me read that to us just as a reminder. Romans 3, starting in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's not exactly good news, is it? But it's true. Every one of us have sinned. Every one of us falls short of the holy perfection of God. Verse 24. And are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now there is the good news. Amen? Paul clearly declares that all mankind has sinned and all fall short of that perfection that God rightly requires. And that they can be justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that Christ has provided. And that is received by faith. 
And as we heard last Sunday, even that saving faith is a gift from God. So let me remind you that this word justified means to declare the righteousness of someone or something. It is a judicial act. It's an act of God whereby he declares a believing sinner to be righteous on the basis of the perfect righteousness of Christ being credited to them by grace through faith. So I have no righteousness of my own, but God declares me to be righteous because he credits me with the righteousness of his son. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Amen? Praise God. So today we're going to see how Paul expands on this teaching by anticipating possible objections to this teaching and then answering those objections. So if you're able, please stand for the reading of our text. I'll be reading from Romans chapter 3, verses 27 through 31. This is God's Word. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. May God bless the reading of his word to us. You may be seated. In this paragraph, Paul gives us an opportunity to think even more deeply about what it means to be justified by His grace as a gift. And he does this by asking six questions covering four topics or aspects of justification. And he starts with this, that justification excludes boasting. And it's pretty simple. How can we boast in our salvation if we receive it as a gift? And we receive it as a gift by way of the saving faith that is also a gift given to us by God. Paul's answer, boasting is excluded. No one can boast that they save themselves because that is impossible. Paul has already eliminated any possibility of our being considered righteous in ourselves or based on our own ability to keep the law. Let me remind you, in Romans 3.10, Paul stated, None is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.12, No one does good, not even one. Now again, we talked about that back then. We tend to have our own standards for good. And so if somebody asks you, are you a good person? 
Of course you're going to respond by, well, yeah, of course I'm a good person. But that's not what God says about those outside of Christ. He says there's not one that is good in themselves. And then in Romans 3.20, Paul wrote, By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, in God's sight. So now he states it once again to drive his point home. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by a law of faith or the principle of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. And there's nothing we can do to add to our salvation. Because again, to be justified is to be declared to be righteous by God. And praise be to God, if God declares us righteous, we're righteous, folks. And we're righteous forever. It is a one-time judicial act of God whereby he declares a sinner to be perfectly righteous because of their saving faith in the finished work of Christ. And that provides perfect righteousness for us. It is a final declarative act of God that cannot be changed. Nothing need be added to it. You might say, it is finished. Now this is so important for us to remember and to embrace fully. Because the greatest lie in this world, and the lie common to all false religions, is that by certain works of their own doing, human beings can make themselves acceptable to God. That they can work their way to heaven. And this is even found in certain so-called Christian denominations. And, of course, it is found as a central tenet of the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholics claim that we are initially saved by God's good grace through faith, but then we must strive to live sinless lives, always doing what pleases God, or we will lose our right standing with God and have to earn it back again. The analogy is often used of a container filled with God's righteous grace. Filled to the top. Absolutely righteous. Because God has poured His righteousness into that container. But then, every sin causes some of that righteousness to leak out of the container. Think of a water balloon. And you take a needle and you poke a little hole in it. And all of a sudden, there's some water leaking out, right? And then you poke another hole in it. Some more water's coming out. You poke another hole, some more water's coming out. You can poke all kinds of holes in that water balloon, right? And slowly, that water balloon empties. So then, what does the Roman Catholic Church teach? That then we must do works of righteousness, acts of penance, to refill our balloon with the righteousness of God. What a rat race that becomes. Never knowing if we've done enough 
to be in right standing with God, never knowing that if we were to die now, we would go directly into his presence in heaven. God wants you to know that if you trust in his son to be your savior, that you will be in his presence when you leave this planet. All boasting is excluded because we did not have anything to do with our own justification. God has done it for us. It is a gift of his grace to be received by faith. And even that faith is a gift from God so that no one can boast. In fact, let me read to you Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 10 as a reminder, familiar passage here. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast. It's pretty clear, isn't it? We're saved by the grace of our loving Heavenly Father choosing to show that grace to us, to give that grace to us, choosing to give us the faith we need to trust in His Son for salvation. It's not our doing. And there's nothing that need to be added to it. So we can't boast. I'm not a better person than someone else because I have trusted in Christ. I'm a recipient of God's grace and love because I have trusted in Christ. No, justification excludes boasting. The Apostle Paul speaks of this in his own life. Here is a man who stated that prior to his being saved, he was the perfect example of what the law could produce. Listen to his own testimony. It's found in Philippians chapter 3. I'll just read a portion of this to you. Philippians 3, verses 4 through 9. This is the Apostle Paul talking about his life before Christ and then what happened to him. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8. Instead, I count everything as loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things, count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul did not have righteousness in himself. And it is God who revealed that to him, who opened his eyes to see that even being the master of Judaism wasn't enough. That's because religion cannot save us. Good works cannot save us. Our own positive thinking about ourselves cannot save us. So there is no room to boast. The righteousness that Paul needed, the righteousness that you and I need, the perfect righteousness of God is not a righteousness that comes from the law or our obedience, but is that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God that depends upon faith. That is how we are declared by God to be righteous We are justified by faith alone. So that excludes all boasting. Paul continues with a second set of questions. Look at verses 29 and 30. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is the one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Listen, there is only one true God who is the creator, the sustainer, and the Lord over the entire universe. Yet despite the central, that central truth that is found in the entire Old Testament scriptures, Many Jews in biblical times believed that non-Jews were somehow outside of the domain of their God. Instead of considering themselves, the Jews, as belonging to God, they conducted themselves as though God belonged to them. He was their God. And that their God only loved them and would save only them. In fact, the belief was quite prevalent that all Jews would go to heaven and that no non-Jews would because they did not follow the law of God. That was the prevalent teaching at the time that Jesus came. This is embodied in the story of Jonah. Remember Jonah? God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach to the pagans there. And Jonah resisted going to Nineveh not because he feared that his witness to them would fail, but because he feared that his witness to them would result in their conversion. He didn't want the pagans to be forgiven by God. And so he decides, I'm going to get on a boat and go the other way. 
Literally, he tried to run away because he knew that God was gracious and compassionate and that his preaching might cause those pagans to trust in God and be saved by him. Which is indeed exactly what happened. Because God's will will be done. Amen? From other Old Testament texts, the Jews knew that many non-Jews had found favor with God. They knew that Rahab, not only a pagan Gentile, but also a prostitute, had found favor with God. They knew that Ruth, another non-Jew, was the great-grandmother of David, their greatest king. They knew these things, yet most of the Jews persisted in their deep prejudice and often hatred of all who were non-Jew. Here Paul answers their objections by proclaiming that the same God will justify both Jews and non-Jews through faith. All who are saved by God are saved in exactly the same way. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is only one God, and there is only one way of salvation, saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's pretty exclusive, isn't it? And we should be so thankful that God has revealed this to us out of the billions of people on this planet. In his letter to Timothy, Paul writes these words, 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 to 6. God, our Savior, desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. For all who God would choose, for all whom God would save... There is one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Just as all human beings are equally condemned by God for their sin, they are to be equally offered God's gracious salvation through faith in His Son. This is why we should love to share the gospel with all who we are able to. Men, women, boys and girls from every tribe, tongue, and nation need to hear the gospel. Amen? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the non-Jew, Romans 1.16. So justification unites all believers. This is why... We, as a church, put so much emphasis on supporting missions. We want to see the gospel taken to the ends of the earth, that many more might be added by God into His glorious church. Amen? And it doesn't matter what tribe, what tongue, what nation. Here we're supporting the translation of the Bible into a nomadic people's tongue language in Africa so that they can hear the gospel. And rightly so. 
We should not neglect to take every possible opportunity to share the gospel with whoever God places in our path. Even if they are quite different from us. It's not about the color of your skin. It's not about the language you speak. It's not about the country of your origin. All are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They need the gospel just as much as we did. Amen? So Paul wraps up this paragraph with yet one more question. Look at verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The very obvious question is this. If, as Paul has written, that our justification is declared by God apart from the works of the law, then the law itself is worthless. And Paul replies, by no means, or God forbid. The law here may refer to the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. It might refer to the first five books of the Old Testament, which we call the books of the law, or the Torah. Or it might refer to the entirety of Old Testament Scripture. It doesn't really matter. Because Paul replies that this doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, actually upholds or establishes the law. So how does it do this? Well, first, the doctrine of justification by grace upholds the law by showing us the perfect righteous requirements that no one can keep. Paul will go into much greater detail regarding this in Romans chapter 7. There he will state that the law is holy and the commandments are holy and righteous and good because they reveal our sinfulness and our absolute inability to save ourselves. This in turn drives us to look for another way of salvation outside of ourselves It drives us to Jesus Christ, who is the only way. Second, the doctrine of justification by grace upholds the law by showing us that the required punishment of sinners by God has been carried out by Jesus, God's own Son. The Bible throughout teaches us that the penalty for sin is death. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. God could not simply set aside the penalty for sin. That would have made a mockery of the law. There's too much of that going on in our courts today. Amen? No. The penalty for those sinners had to be paid for God to be just and for the law to be upheld. So that is exactly what God did by sending his own son to die on the cross for us in our place. This is no bait and switch, folks. Our sin was laid upon him 
and he paid the full penalty for our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us and bore in his body the wrath of God that was due for our sins. Robert Haldane, a Scottish pastor and theologian, in his commentary writes these words. Can there be any greater respect shown to the law than that when God determines to save men from its curse, he makes his own son sustain its curse in their place and fulfill for them all its demands. This is what our God has done for us. Our curse fell upon Jesus. And third, the doctrine of justification by grace upholds the law by showing us that it saves us based on true righteousness. Righteousness that is an exact fulfillment of the law. Remember, justification by grace is possible only because God imputes to us the perfect righteousness of His Son, Jesus, who became a man and lived a perfectly righteous life, perfect obedience to the law. And in doing so, He fulfilled all righteousness. This shows that the law is the proper standard for righteousness. This upholds the law as being righteous. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. And his actual perfect righteousness is now, by the grace of God, credited to the account of each and every one who believes in him by faith. Hallelujah, what a Savior. This, of course, not only upholds the law, but results in the justification of all who are saved by grace through faith in Christ. So what have we learned over these past two sermons? Looking at perhaps two of the most important paragraphs in Scripture. We have been exposed to four very important truths, and I just want to review those quickly. Number one. God has provided a way for human beings to be credited with His perfect righteousness leading to eternal life with Him. Number two, this righteousness is by grace. It is a gift from God, free to all who receive it. Number three, it is the work of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that makes this gift of justification possible. He lived the perfect sinless life that we could not, earning the righteousness that we needed. Then he died in our place as a sacrifice for our sins, providing redemption and propitiation for all of God's chosen people. And fourth, this justification, which God has graciously provided, becomes ours through the gift of saving faith which we are able to exercise through the Holy Spirit working in us. It is grace from beginning to end. It is the plan of salvation accomplished by God the Father 
God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is amazing grace. Amen? So how then should we respond to these great truths? Well, in exactly the same way I encouraged you to respond last Sunday. First, all who hear this glorious gospel should believe in Jesus, trust in Him for salvation, and surrender their lives to Him. Acknowledge Him, not only as Savior, but also as Lord. Second, we should give thanks and praise and worship to God for all that He has done to save us. We should continually give thanks and praise for Him, for so great a salvation, and encourage one another to do the same. Then live our lives submitted to God as His beloved children. Seeking to obey Him, seeking to glorify Him in our lives. And third, we are to be His witnesses. Telling others these glorious truths. Proclaiming the gospel to all and praying that God would give them the gift of saving faith and cause them to be born again. In this way, we pass on the promise. The amazing grace that we have been shown. And we encourage others to do the same. And we do all of this to the praise of His glory, not ours. God be glorified. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord.